uh, just a few verses of Scripture, and uh, we're going to look with me at verse number 7. Revelation chapter number 3 and verse number 7. The Bible says, And unto the angel of the church in Philadelphia, not Pennsylvania, amen, it says, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David. He that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thou works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. He said, For thou hast little strength, a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come, and look at this, and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon the world to try them which dwell upon the earth. Then Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, or Ju- New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from God. And look, look at this last thing. And, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Amen. Father, we thank you. And we ask you, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and understanding. Lord, as Brandon has prayed already this morning, Lord, we're desperate for you. And uh, Lord, we're not desperate to hear a preacher today. We're not desperate to hear a person. We're desperate to hear what the Spirit says. Lord, in Jesus in closing in all of these seven churches, this being that sixth one, he told us all that he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And God... I pray today that nobody hears what the preacher says more than what they hear the Spirit saying to the churches. God, we love you. We give you all praise. In Jesus Christ's name, we ask it together. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, this morning, I want to show you just a picture, and you can see this probably pretty good. Um, but when you go to Israel, has anybody ever been to Israel? Raise your hand. Have you ever been to Israel in here? Maybe one, two people. Maybe. Uh, when you go to Israel, you, you, you get this really hopped up expectation that you're going to go to Israel and you're going to see all these great big things, that you're going to see all of these huge places, that you're going to see uh, uh, when you go to uh, Caesarea Philippi. It's really a lot of ruins. And really when you go to these places in Israel... All of your expectations are really overwhelming, but when you get there, you don't really see all the things. You have to be a person that has some kind of imagination. you got to have some kind of uh, imagination to where you can sit there and try to put the pieces together. And sometimes that's difficult for people. I have a wild imagination. My, pa- my wife, Patty, says that she needs visual aids. She needs pictures. She needs help. We went to the ark uh, and saw the boat this past weekend, and uh, it helped out a lot for her, right? And she said that it was really, really good, and that thing was big, right? Uh, and it does. Visual aids really help people out. But uh, I have a book that I purchased in Israel, and uh, it's actually not a pop-up book, but it's a sale book. Uh, it's actually a book that where you look at all of the ruins, but then you overlay this clear sail over the top of it, and it actually shows you what it may have looked like in those days, how the timber frames would have come in and how the, how the porticos would have been covered. And, but when you go to Israel, we go to Beth Shean. It's a Roman city in Israel. When you go out to the, uh, um, the Golan Heights, still look like the exact same thing, nothing there, no desire to go there. The Dead Sea is still dead, nothing actually out there that you'd want to do. People go out there. The Americans love to go out there and rub, uh, go and get massages and what are the spa days and take the black mud of the Dead Sea and 
allow it to be smeared all over their face. I, I'm, not, I, I'm not into that at all. Um, I'm not at all into that. They get the pedicures and other stuff. There's a couple of men in here that they love those things, but uh, I'm not really into that. I'm going to go move on because uh, I don't really want to stay around there today. But uh, uh, he did some baptizing last Sunday, if you want to know who I'm talking about. But um, uh, <laughs> got the prettiest feet of all people, right? I think they have uh, uh, the little Hello Kitties on them. But uh, looking at this picture, this is really all you see when you go to places like Israel. When you go there, you really don't see much of anything except for these standing tall columns, Corinthian columns and pillars. And this is actually the Basilica of John, St. John, that was built there in Philadelphia. But it wasn't during the time that um, Jesus is talking to the church. It really wasn't built until the uh, uh, 700 AD. It wasn't built until later. Um, but it's actually just, these are all that's left. And we're going to be talking about the reason why those things are the only things left. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the church at Philip, uh, Philadelphia, which was the church that actually is the one that Jesus says is the faithful church. Uh, remember, we, we broke this thing down into seven things, and so we're going to talk about those seven things again today. The first thing out of the gate is the commencing of Philadelphia, or the beginning of Philadelphia. About 159 before Christ was here, Philadelphia was formed as a city. Uh, it was actually formed in the name of, or in the brotherhood sense of, Italus uh, II. Uh, not only that, but the word Philadelphia itself. You know that Philadelphia, if you were to go there in Pennsylvania, and you are to go and you run through the streets and stuff like that and hear the music playing in the background of Rocky. But when you go there, they call it the city of what? Brotherly love. Now, according to the numbers of murder, I really wouldn't know if that would be true or not, you know, if it's much brotherly love there. But the reason is, is because in this word, Philadelphia, it's two Greek words. The first one is phile, which means love, and the other one is delphos, which means brother. And it actually means that when this city was founded, it was founded in a brotherly love that one had with another. And they actually, this city is really, really great. This city is a city that, or even a church, that Jesus had nothing bad to say about this church. Jesus had no correction for this church and nothing bad. You remember last Sunday we talked about the church at Sardis, and Jesus had what? Nothing good to say about that church. But this church of Philadelphia, there's nothing that Jesus corrects. There's nothing that Jesus criticizes at all to the church at Philadelphia. So evidently this church was doing what they should have done and had a lot of brotherly love. But it was a church that was a Lydian city. Remember we talked about the king of Lydia last Sunday. Tried to tie these things together because each Sunday... We're talking about these churches, and they're really in the same neighborhood. They're not on the same road, but they're in the same neighborhood. And uh, when we talk about these seven churches, and we started with Ephesus, if you go clockwise, you actually go out and you'll cover all of them as we come through these churches. And so we're coming along now to Philadelphia, and the area of Philadelphia was not like Sardis. Remember, Sardis had the Acropolis last Sunday which was the huge overlook, the fortress that was built up in order to defend off of their city. They had a name that they were alive because they had a great big Acropolis, but actually they represented their necropolis, remember that was their cemeteries on a thousand hills. They actually, Jesus said they looked like that more than they did the Acropolis. He said they, they pronounced and professed they had life, but they were actually just dead. And they were a dying church. And if they didn't repent, they were all actually going to suffer from 
uh, what? Spiritual death. They were going to be done away with. Jesus told the church at Ephesus what? He said, unless you repent, he said, I'll come and remove the candlestick from out of his place. Not Jesus out of his place. we remove that church out of its place. Amen? And so here we are talking about Philadelphia. And you remember, we've talked about uh, Smyrna. We've talked about Ephesus. We talked about how they were on great trade routes. You remember that they had a lot of uh, goods that would come through. They had uh, uh, a lot of visitors. They had a lot of false gods' temples. They had temples of Artemis, temples of Diana. They had temples of Caesars and uh, Roman Caesars. You remember, we talked about they had a temple to Caesar Augustus. Well, this area and this land was a little bit different. And the way that it differed is that it actually tied things together in a more different way. Uh, it was not a stronghold city to where they brought all the goods and caravans and trade routes, but it was actually what was called in the Roman times an imperial road, an imperial road or imperial caravan road. And what it was, it was outposts for military. And if you had to call up a strike with military as quick as possible, when they would send the word to Philadelphia, then the soldiers were able to go through this road in such a quick way where they could meet, and this was what brought all of Philadelphia together. This was why they even stayed there, because they maneuvered together. The road, uh, I'll read it to you in this way. Philadelphia's location uh, was actually called a road system of the Roman Empire, uh, they were always known for their engineering and efficiency, but it was sitting on what was referred to, referred to as the Imperial Post Road, and they used it to deliver important messages, various locations. They could move their military personnel quick, and it was always a thing of Rome to have what? You had to have good bathing. People had to have hygiene. They always thought that if you could bathe and you could have places to bathe and bathhouses and have good water to drink, that Rome would last forever. We know they didn't last forever, but they thought that. They also thought that if they had a good road system, good drainage system, good irrigation and good septic and all these things, and good road systems that actually that you would never ever deteriorate, you would never go away. There's even some roads in Rome today and actually in Israel today that are Roman made that are better than some of the Jefferson County roads that we have that they made about four years ago. Amen? And these were made thousands of years ago. But Rome thought that, that they had to be able to bring it in. And we even know the words they use. What all roads lead to Rome. Paul's theology was this. If all roads lead to Rome, if I can get the gospel to Rome, then all roads lead out of Rome too, amen, to all the other cities. And so Paul set his sights up high and pressed toward the mark, the high calling of God. Do You remember last Sunday we talked about the church at Sardis and kind of go through this real quick. We talked about the church at Sardis and how that they suffered from an earthquake in 17 year A.D., right? They suffered in such a way that it leveled, but they built back up. You know, they were known for what? There was always never a warning for them. Their city was attacked in the middle of the night because a soldier came down the wall. The uh, city was attacked again later. Why? Because the soldiers figured out how to go through the tunnel system and break into the Acropolis. The city was also laid at waste because of an earthquake that came. And if you are to look at the, the plates, you are to look at the uh, uh, fault lines that are around or surrounding Turkey, you would understand that you have the Arabian fault line that is coming up. Uh, coming up, you have the uh, African fault line also that comes up below them. But then you have the European fault or the plate actually that comes down and it's pressing down. And then you have this thing called the Anatolia plate that comes out and it's pushing out. So all of these things are pushing up and pushing up towards Turkey. And then Europe 
ship is pushing down, the plate pushes down, and then the Anatolian plate comes and pushes across. And so you have this small little bitty piece in all of these puzzles. You have this little bitty area that's modern-day Turkey, that is Asia Minor in the biblical days, and it has all of these seven churches in there, and just a small area where Paul spent a lot of his missionary time preaching. And all of this stuff is pushing against it, and it's forcing its way. And it is known for earthquakes. But what's different than the church at Sardis last week that was brought down and they built up than it is to Philadelphia this week is that Philadelphia actually sets on one of the major fault lines. So in 17 AD, Philadelphia was totally destroyed. Totally destroyed that in such a way the history books and the record books of the Roman census or the Roman taxing, which is called tribute, they allowed the city of Philadelphia to be exempt for five whole years of paying tribute. Now, I've not even heard of that even in our days today, right? Anybody in here, you get a five-year break. Sometimes we get some break. They allowed them five whole years in order to build back up. It is actually recorded that for 20 years after 17 AD that this city suffered from what? Earthquakes and aftershocks. It seemed like when they'd get built back up, boom, here come another. And boom, here come another. If you look in the land of Turkey, there are 6.2s and 5.3s. There's multiple earthquakes that go on there all of the time. If you were to look at the map of the earthquake system, you would see that obviously we know on the California side coming down into Mexico, we have huge earthquakes. We have what's called the ring of fire. That Not a Johnny Cash thing, but out there that, that is in the... It, it actually walks around and comes around and comes down. But listen, when you get into Turkey, into that one area, church, think about it. There's one small plate, one piece of the puzzle that everything is pressing against. And it, this is what that church suffered from. That church suffered over and over and over of being a city of brotherly love, but they would suffer all of these things. But because of where they lived, because of what they could grow there, that's why they stayed. Now, I don't know about you, and you're hearing these things, what you think about it, but my theology is this. If it happens like that, why don't you move? Anybody in here agree with me? That's why I don't live in California. Amen? We were out there right after all of the earthquakes and stuff, and you're looking at that interstate that fell down years ago. You know, hey, I don't, I don't need to be out there. I'd rather, and probably some people go, I don't want to be in Alabama either. I don't want to suffer the tornadoes and the hurricanes that come up and all that. But you would think they would leave, but why didn't they leave? Because there was such wonderful, fertile ground. They had the second greatest vineyard in all of Rome. So much that Emperor or the Caesar Domitian actually said to the, church, or to the city of Philadelphia, stop growing the grapes because you're making Rome's grape vineyards look bad. And you've got to know all this stuff in order to know what Jesus is saying. And I know it's tough be out on the porch when we're preaching, but we'll get in the house in a minute, so stay with me. I know, I know some of you are going, why don't you just preach the word? I, I am. Just stay with me. Amen? Uh, but they, you say, well, what, what would they do with the grapes? They actually worshipped a god there, a false god called Dionysus or Bacchus. And they actually had these temples built in Philadelphia that they would gather the grapes and that they would ferment them, man-made fermentation, and they would get drunk, they would be plastered, and they actually lived their lives in such a way that they said that Bacchus, this, this false god of Rome, said he was so evil that they called him an animalistic god. 
You know why? Because when they got so drunk because of the wine and could not have any senses on their own, then they turned and said that their worship to the god Dionysus or Bacchus was an act of worship, was illicit sex with one another. It was ungodly. It was horrible, the things that were going on. And here is a church of Jesus Christ that Jesus says to look upon a woman with lust in your heart. You've committed adultery already. When he says all these things and to stay away from all of this and to run and askew and to get away from evil and to live a holy life, be ye holy because he is holy. And he says all this and here's a church right in the middle of this sinful stuff going on. And not only that, but yet listen, if they're going to gather the monies together to build a church building, they've got to also keep in mind that this place moves all the time. That the earth quakes and things fall down. All of this stuff. But Jesus says, listen, to the church at Philadelphia, right. Jesus says, I know what you're going through. He tells them the characteristics is this. He says in the next verse, or in verse number uh, 7, he says, unto the angel of the church of Philadelphia, right. Look at what he says. These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man can shut and he shuts, and no man can open. He tells them his characteristics. What's the first characteristic? He says, the one that's talking to you is holy. He said, don't you confuse me with any false gods that's in that city being worshipped because the one that's riding under you is holy. I'm not asking you to go to the great vineyard and to bring up some kind of wine-intoxicating concoction and actually go to the temple and worship me through illicit sex. He says, no. He said, the one that is speaking to you is holy. And if there is a word, a vocabulary word, out of the word of God that is lost among the churches today, it is H-O-L-Y. It's holy. When we talk about holiness, when we talk about sanctity, listen, it's a word that's totally lost in our world. The world doesn't understand it. When we talk about holy, do you know what it means? It means to be, the Greek word is hagios. It means to be captured away in the majesty of sacredness. Man, that's a real good definition. And I know when y'all heard it, you thought, well, he's smart. Right? It means to be captured away in the majesty of sacredness. Our world today does not know the word holy. Our world today does not understand the word holiness. When we look at children, and we can look at them as nothing in the womb, they're not sacred at all, and we can't behold the majesty of God's sacredness that what He says is holy. Listen, holiness is being in awe of God. It means you're in awe of His creation. You're in awe of His wonderful beauty, His majesty. Isaiah said it like this in chapter 6, verse 3. He said, and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of the hosts of the earth. Amen. He said, the whole earth is full of His glory. You know what Isaiah was saying? Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And what Isaiah was saying in the vision that he saw was that all of the stuff down here was meaningless to him. And that people had forgotten about what holiness was. He said, but when I looked at the Lord, he said, and I observed him, and I saw him in his temple, amen, and not in the earth, but in his temple at first. He says, look, when I saw him high and lifted up, he said, I knew immediately that I was captured away in the majesty of his sacredness. He is holy. 
And when he looked over Brother Clay at Jesus, the Son of God that has always been there, that he was not here when Mary had a son, God's always had a son, he looked at Jesus and he said, Holy, amen. When he looked over at the Spirit of God, capital S, which is a person, a part of the Trinity of God, he said, Holy. When Isaiah saw God, he said, The Father's holy, the Son is holy, and the Spirit is holy. And the beasts in Revelation say it all the time, amen. Holy, 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 amen. Why? Because they were captured. They were captured by the majesty of his sacredness. The Bible says, Jesus says, the one that's riding unto you is holy. Jesus is not a self-proclaimed holy man. Amen. He was proclaimed holy by his father. He was proclaimed holy by the prophets. And listen, i got to go on. We can't stay there all morning. Y'all know that. Amen. Look at the second thing. He said he's true. He said the one that writes unto you is also true. The, the Greek word here is Althenios, and it means that he has validity and that he's sincere. It just doesn't mean that he has validity, but it even goes on to the deepest part means that he's sincere. Jesus is saying to the church at Philadelphia that the one that's writing unto you is holy, but I am sincere with you, that I'm not playing games. But Jesus is, man, I, can't, I try to control it all the time, but I can't sometimes. But he is writing a love note to the church at Philadelphia. And he is writing out something serious. And he says, I want you to know that I am speaking truth to you. Listen, there were many Christians that were in this Philadelphian church. Listen, they were discouraged. Why were they discouraged? We're going to talk about it a little bit later. They were discouraged because... The Bible says that there was a synagogue there. Jesus said it was a synagogue to Satan. It was Jews that actually were casting out Christians. And listen, what was going on was those people were saying, we know the truth. We know that Messiah is still coming. Jesus is not the Messiah. But listen, those Christians knew that Jesus was the Messiah. They knew, just like Peter knew that he was the Messiah, you are the son of the living God, amen? He, they knew that, but people in the synagogues that were supposed to be doing what? Coming to Jesus, the Messiah. It was meant that we wouldn't be divided, but that would, we would be together, amen? And with us being together, it means that he would say, hey, we should understand truth together. But Jesus says they're not preaching and speaking truth, and I know that that is hurting you. He said, but I want you to know that I'm speaking truth to you. Look at the third thing. It says he's got the key. It says in that characteristic, it says that he had the key of David. No man, he says, no man openeth. It says that he's the only one that opens and no man shuts, and he shuts and no man's opening. The key of David. What is he talking about having the key of David? There's a guy in the Bible by the name of Eliakim. I don't know if you read about Eliakim before. You know, a lot of times we get to those Old Testament names and they get hard and we just go, okay, he, he, was, he was there. You know, Shebna and Eliaka, Eliakim. Uh, you read about them in like 2 Kings chapter 18 if you wanted to write it down. You can go home and read about them. But basically what happened is, is that they started making the the golden vessels and the silver vessels, the vessels of gold, the vessels of the temple. And when they made those vessels, they actually brought them into what was called the storehouse of God. And in the temple, there was a place that was actually built a room that is called the storehouse. And in that storehouse, they stored all of it, the, the, what they called the snuff dishes. Now, Alabama terminology, that ain't what it is. That's not what we're talking about. They were, or the dishes, the bowls, and the snuffers. And the snuffers are not the ones that sit out in the back after church spitting. But it was talking about that they would put out the wicks, and they would put out the candles, they would put out the oil lamps and stuff, and they would snuff them out. And uh, they stored all of this stuff in the storehouse. And it got to be where a man named Shebna or Shebna 
actually was the keeper of that storehouse, but he went into the storehouse and he took of the vessels of God and he gave them unto the Assyrians. Well, the Bible says that his rule was taken from him and there was a man by the name of Eliakim that came and that said that they put on him, said, you're going to be the keeper of that. They put a lock on the door and they actually gave Eliakim the key of what was called the key of David. They said they laid the key of David upon his shoulders. And what it meant, it meant that he had access to the golden vessels of worship and all of the wonderfulness of the temple that he kept the door of the temple and that nobody could get in without him and nobody could come out without him. No man would shut the door unless he was the one that shut it and nobody could open the door unless he was the one that opened it up. Church, it's a beautiful illustration of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I am the one that opens the door and I am the one that closes it and I am not the one. I'm not Eliakim. Eliakim was a type of who I am. Amen. He was an earthly man that had a position, but he's talking about he had a position at an earthly temple and Jesus is saying, Church, Philadelphia I am the one that has the keys of heaven I am the one that has the keys of the golden vessels of the temple of God in heaven not in earth in heaven I am the one that has access in matter of fact not only access but I am the access nobody can come to the father except by me he talks about he's the way he's the truth he's alive he's the door amen he tells them that nobody could come in so Jesus is saying that he has the key of David amen so when you think about it for a moment it's beautiful when we went to the ark this past weekend and uh, we get to this certain point I can't remember what level it may be level two you get to this certain point where you come to this huge gigantic door when you come to this door it's such a beautiful illustration it has a has a imprinted light of a cross uh, a light is shining in a certain way where the cross is on there and we, we understand the meaning of it all but but my mind goes real deep on certain things and I'm walking through and they're talking about all the animals that they took on the ark were probably, if we were really smart about this, would have been juvenile animals. They would have been smaller animals because they're, you know, less to feed and less to clean up. You know what I mean? And so they talked about that they were probably juvenile. And a lot of us, we get our own imaginations about what happened in the ark. We kind of drive, uh, drive our own story, and we kind of figure this stuff out. And we got, we got giraffes sticking their neck out, you know, and they're waddling down through there as the waves are hitting them. No, that's not really true. And listen, i got to tell you today that um, probably the story in your, in your baby's nursery is not, not very accurate either. Um, but... It's probably reasonable to think that they had juveniles. And so I'm sitting there, and as I'm looking at the door, I'm going, all right, God, why do they build the door so big? You know, if you brought juvenile animals on here, why do we build the door so big? You know, and I know these are illustrations. No, you don't, don't think I'm nitpicking, but these are illustrations. So I go home that night, and I'm sitting there thinking about the door. And I'm just, man, I'm just sitting back, and I'm like, well, if the giraffes were little, you know, their heads, they could have fit in, you know, like me or something. And I'm thinking about it, and all of a sudden, God was just showing me that the door is big because from the outside, God's judgment is big. But from the inside, God's grace is big. And they got to thinking about that big door having access to all people who are willing to come in. But I got to thinking about that door being shut. And when that door is shut from the outside view, it sticks out. It sticks out because it's the judgment of God against unbelievers. But when you're inside and you're safe and you're sealed and you're looking at that door, amen, and not even thinking about the cross on that door, the grace of God that does what? It abounds much more than sin abounds, amen? Listen, I know that was all. I, I tried to take time out, but, you know, I'll give you a tour another day. 
Look at this other thing, the, com the commendation. Jesus commended this church. He said, number one, I know your works. Jesus said the same thing to all the other churches. I know your works. And, but Jesus moved straight to blessings about them. He said, I've set an open door in front of you. You know, now Jesus could have been referring to that geographical door where everybody came through the imperial road where it tied brotherly love together. But I believe he was speaking a little bit deeper, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. He said, number three, he said, you have a little strength. Now listen, this is not talking about in the sense of failure or that Jesus was telling this church that they're weak because he's not saying anything condemning to them at all. He is commending them. And he says, you have a little strength. Listen, but what Jesus is commending is this, is that you're walking in a little strength. You're walking in not your greatness, what you think you are, but you're walking in a little strength. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Paul. What did Paul say? Well, I'm weak. He's the strong one. What did Jesus, what did God tell Paul when he said, please take this thorn out of my flesh? He said, I will not. He said, but my grace is sufficient, sufficient for you. And he says, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. Listen, church, you may think because you're a small church, and this church right here we're going to talk about in a moment, they actually probably never had a building. They probably met on hills or by the rivers, by the creek beds, by the banks, up on the hilltops. Because they didn't have anything and they probably thought many times we don't have this we don't have a building we don't have all of this stuff and we're just meeting over here jesus is telling them you're walking in your little strength and he commends them for that you know why listen church we can't walk in the strength of our building this building can be taken down tomorrow and what i mean by that is we can't walk in the strength of who who made these and and, and who put the walls in and who put the the windows up and who did the stage and who put these TVs and all that? We can't sit around for years and years and years and just glory and gloat about everything that we've got here because this stuff, as Philadelphia would know, could be taken away in a moment. Could be taken away in just moments, just seconds. Listen, Jesus is saying when you walk in your small strength, then you are walking in my great strength. Amen? He said this next thing to them. He says, look, you've kept my word and you've not denied my name. He said, you've kept my word. This church believed on the authority and the validity of the word of God. This church, listen, they read from it. They preached from it. Listen, they sang about it. They shared it, and they worked out of the word of God. If you want to go to a good church, let me say something to you. Before you get wrapped up in going and looking at facilities, please listen and not think I'm talking bad. Before you look at facilities, find out if the church is standing in the word of God. Find out if the church is reading from the Word, preaching from the Word, and working out of the Word of God. If they're not, it doesn't matter about facilities. And it doesn't matter about monies and budgets or anything like that. What matters is, is that are we working from the Word of God? Amen? Listen, the last thing he said here is they did not deny his name. This church had pronounced that uh, Jesus le curios. These people pronounced that Jesus le curios. What it means is, is that Jesus is lord jesus is god they pronounce listen and in a city where the roman imperials would come in you got to think about it roman soldiers come in strengthened trained to do what to be the best killers here on this earth to be the best defenders here on this earth at that time and as they would come through the city on the imperial road what would they do they would come and take possessions from people they would look at people and actually declare what what was going on at rome the emperor was telling them that anyone that pronounced jesus as lord then they would be killed 
Nero proclaimed it. Domitian proclaimed it. Trajan proclaimed it. All of them that if you don't say that Rome or Caesar is God, then they would be killed. But this church said, no, Jesus, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. And they were willing to do what? Not to deny His name. When they said, do you believe who is Lord? Who do you believe is Lord? They would say, Jesus is Lord. Amen? Right. That was their profession of faith. You say, how do you know that? Paul even told us in Romans 10, 9 and 10, you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Amen? That He's the Son of God and that He is Lord. He said, they didn't deny my name. You remember Ephesus? Ephesus left their first love. You remember that? Smyrna, they were fearful because they thought they were dead, but Jesus said they were alive. Pergamos, remember, they were allowed Jezebel to come in and do teaching. Sardis, the church at Sardis, they said that they were alive but were dead. Over and over and over all these people, but Jesus had no criticism for them. He didn't say anything bad. He didn't say anything negative. Jesus also had no correction for them. Man, that's good. How many of you have ever gotten, you know, in trouble before and maybe you didn't do it? Well, you probably all didn't do it. We know you're all innocent. But you didn't do it. And maybe it was like five or six guys or five or six girls. You know, you all got to go with me to the scenarios of my life. This way I grew up. I hung out with people and because I hung out with them, I didn't necessarily do what they did, but I got in trouble with them, right? Anybody understand what I'm talking about? Mom and dad used to say if you hang with dogs, you get the fleas, right? And so I can remember going to the office before sitting in there knowing I did nothing. I'm good. I did nothing wrong. And I'm sitting there with this crew of criminals. <laughs> and I'm sitting, I've done nothing. And I know that I've done nothing. I've already told them all I've done nothing while I'm walking down the hall. And you get into the office. Craig understands what I'm talking about. All the people that come to his office did nothing. And uh, I'm sitting there, and they're like, you do this, you do this. And I remember one time Mr. Trotter looked at me and said, did you do this? And I said, no, sir. He said, all right, we'll go back to class. <laughs> Absolutely. Amen. I'm gone. I didn't do it. He trusted me. You know why? Because in the past when I did do those things, I told him the truth. Listen, I didn't do anything, and I walked away. It's always great to be that person. I was in Bessemer, Alabama one time because I was traveling down the interstate with a ladder sticking out of the back of my truck, and I had no flag on it. That's against the law if it sticks out four foot past the bed. It's against the law. You have to have a flag in order to warn the people behind you. People are passing me left and right. I get pulled over for the flag. And I'm sitting there going, these people are going 90. And you pull me over and I'm working, you know. And I go, he said, well, you can go and tell them uh, at the Bessemer Courthouse your scenario. And I was like, yes, sir. I go sit down and I remember sitting there that day and, you know, I'm with the criminals again. I'm, t I'm not lying. There are people, I, what did you do? I spent $30,000 in bounce checks. You know, and I was like, oh. You know, these people over here, they got traffic things. They're looking at me and they go, what, what are you here for? Didn't have a flag on my ladder. <laughs> you know. Uh, I started to show them, you know, my old Army or Navy tattoo, right? <laughs> no. I felt like the... I go up to the judge, and I was still guilty. It didn't matter. Imagine being that church. That's who we want to be, being that church that Jesus finds no criticism or correction to us. Now, we know that we're always going to have exhortation, and we're going to have encouragement. But imagine Jesus not correcting them because they were doing something wrong. That's the church that I want to be. 
Amen. But sometimes I wonder for that church, especially around Sunday night and Wednesday night, I wonder if we're really, really going forward for the Lord. Or if we just get emotional sometimes and we just kind of go, yes, then we're really not, really not in there. Don't have our feet set in the concrete very good. You know, this church had no correction, no criticism. But then in this, and we're going to close, in this, they had a caution. Jesus was giving them a caution. Look at verse number 11. He says, behold, I come quickly. He said, hold fast that which thou hast and that no man take thy crown. He said, he's coming quickly. That doesn't mean that Jesus is coming. What is great about this church, there's no criticism, no correction. So this is not Jesus coming in judgment quickly. It's not Jesus coming in judgment quickly like he told Ephesus and like he told uh, uh, um, Sardis in judgment. No, this is the Lord returning quickly with his reward. And he says, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have. Just continue to hold on to what you have received from the Lord and keep doing what you've done. And he says that no man take thy crown. And what he's talking about is not somebody that could actually take away the crown of righteousness. Church, you know why? Because none of those people in that city gave them the crown of righteousness. Listen to what First or Second Timothy says. For I'm now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight, and I finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. He said there's going to be a crown of righteousness, and nobody can steal that. And what he's saying is, is hold on to the word of God, and don't let anyone take away from that. As you're doing right for the Lord, don't let anyone take away from those things. You know, you don't have to have a lot of things in this world. You don't have to have a lot of possessions. If you have Christ, let me tell you this morning that you're rich. You know, between all the people that are here this morning, there may be some people that think that they have a lot, and then there's probably some people in here that think that they don't have anything. There's some people that may have a lot, and they have a lot of uh, financial problems and financial troubles and stuff. And let me say something to you. Those things aren't what define who we are. It's Jesus Christ is what who, or he is who defines who we are. It's Jesus that defines all of us. There used to be a song that I would sing, and it would go, uh, In this world I don't have much, in silver or gold. My house is just a cabin on the side of the road. But I've been adopted by King's family. And when I get to my new home, look what's waiting for me. You know, it's not things you have. In this world, but it's who you have in this life. And Jesus tells this church, you hold on to that. If you go to the cupboard today and the cupboard's bare, you hold on to the fact that Jesus will provide. He always has. If you go to the cupboard and the cupboard is full, then you realize God has blessed you in such a way for you to be a blessing also to other people. Amen. You realize through what? Philadelphia, brotherly love that you are who you are and called to be. Listen, here's the last thing. The certainty that the Lord gives him. And I really want to preach from here this morning more than any other thing. And I want you to read that with me. Look at your Bible. He says, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. He said, Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell on the earth or upon the earth. 
Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall no more or go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. Church, the Bible says automatically in that first part, he says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews, but they're lying. This second time that we've talked about the synagogue of Satan, you remember that we understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ came to the Jews first. It came to the Jews first. Why? Because the Messiah and the wonderful prophecy of Jesus Christ came through the Jewish lineage. And so the Bible says that that first offer of salvation to the people were to the Jews. Paul even declares it in Romans 1 verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ where it's the power of God unto salvation to all that believe to the Jew first and to the Greek. And what it means is, is that they had the promises, they had the covenants of the Messiah coming, and they left it because they were blinded by their own sin and pride, and they rejected Jesus and crucified him. Are you with me? I, you can't be with me like this. You've got to be with me like this. You need to lean in. Listen. He said in this scripture, he said, the synagogue of Satan. They had every opportunity. It's much like you here today. How sad would it be for you to go to church the way that you do, and all you do is write notes and you write letters and you sit down in church and you laugh and you cut up and you do those things, and you stand before God on the end of your days, and He says, Depart from me, you work of iniquity, for I never knew you. How sad is it to go to church your whole life to be a part of it your whole life. Brother Steve, you think they'll be there? That's what Jesus is talking about, these Jewish people. He's talking about how blinded they are that they can't even see that Jesus is the Messiah and they're continuing to pray that the Messiah would come. And do you know why they were called the synagogue of Satan? Because now, Brother David, they've moved into the realm of acting like the devil. You know what they were doing? They were looking at those Christians who professed Jesus as Lord and they're following Him. And they mocked them and they made fun of them and they slandered those Christians' names. And whenever they wanted to come into the synagogue, they took that family of Brother Brandon West and Mary and his children. And when he came in and said, We are Jews, but we believe Jesus is Lord. And we have come today to the synagogue on the Sabbath to worship the Lord. We want to join in to hear the Word of God. We want to do those things. And the keeper of of the door of the synagogue of the Jews in Philadelphia would look at Brandon and look at Mary and say, you have no access. When Bible study had started and they began to teach the Word of God, if there was one of those big doors with the little peephole in it and Brandon knocked on the door, they would look at him and they would declare that he is one of those professing Christians and they would turn him away and turn him out. You say, Brother Steve, you think that happened? That's why Jesus is telling them that when it all comes down to it, he said, I will make those of the synagogue of the Jewish, of synagogue of Satan, to bow down. Listen, not at their feet worshiping them, Jacob. They're not going to... People, Christians are not worthy to be worshipped. 
You aren't worthy to be worshipped. He is saying that when the end of time has come and we are standing together because every inheritance that I have belongs to you. He said those people will bow. You will see them bow in the presence and they will worship me. Amen. And he said I will humiliate those who humiliated you. It does. Now I know that in America today that's not very politically correct and we would call Jesus a bully. But... That's what's going to happen because they are of the synagogue of Satan. The Bible says in the next thing, he says, they say they're Jews and they're not. They lie. He said, I'll do all of these things. Look at the next scripture. He says, because you've kept the word of my patience. And you've also, listen, I will also keep you from the hour of temptation, the hour of tribulation. Please let me read these scriptures to you. And I want you to really focus on them. There's a lot of them. We're going to close. Brandon, you and Andrew, uh, if y'all want to come back and... You can do that song again. That'd be great. Listen. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to read all the way down to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. He said, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. It says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So we should comfort one another with these words. Jesus tells the church at Philadelphia, You hold on to what you have. He said, Because I'm coming quickly. And when I come quickly, he's talking about not judgment. He's telling them about the rapture of the church. And he's telling them that when I come and I rapture you out of here and pull you out in great what? Holiness and majesty of going into heaven. Amen. Listen, the dead in Christ going up first. All of the Christians that believe will rise up to meet them in the air. And it says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We'll never be separated from the Lord again. It says at the trump of God, the last trump. Amen. The last trump is not the first trumpet over in the book of Revelation later of wrath, but it's the one in Revelation chapter 4 verse 1, the voice as of a trumpet that says, come up hither, amen, and we will always for the rest of our life be with the Lord. We'll never be in the hands of Satan again, amen. We'll never be in a world of sickness and sin again, amen. We will be with the Lord. And he says, you just hold on. He said, because I've not delivered you under that hour, but or given you under that hour, I have delivered you of that hour. You say, I don't believe you. I know you didn't. Look at verse 5. Or first one of chapter 5, he says, But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. It says, For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So therefore, let us not sleep. I told you we needed to wake up. Let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, look, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, 
but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. Whether we should wake or sleep, we should live together with him. And he says it again, wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as you also do. Or also you do. Think about it for a moment. All that's written. The rapture of the church. When the rapture of the church is taken out of here, all of a sudden the Bible says all of this other stuff, the wrath of God comes. After the rapture, it's wrath. And he said, let me remind you something, church at Philadelphia. I'm going to pull you out of here. I'm going to come and I'm going to get you. When you walk around in Israel, that's all you see. When you go to Turkey and see what's left of the seven churches, all you see. Jack, that's all you see. Adam, that's it's just ruins. You know what you see? You see these big old pillars, these big old columns. Jesus tells that church in that last verse, listen to what he says. I will make them of the synagogue which said they're Jews and are not. And they lie. He said they will come before thy feet and they will worship. He said and they'll know that I loved you. He said they'll know that I loved you. And he says because you've kept the word of my patience. He said I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon the, all the world to try them which dwell upon the earth. The great tribulation. I will keep them from that. Look at what he says in this last part. He says in verse 12. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go out no more. Or go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God. The name of the city of my God. Which is the new Jerusalem. Which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. Bear with me just for a moment. Give me five more minutes. When you were to go to these big huge temple columns. When we went in Rome. Israel and Beth Shean and all that. You look on these things, they would actually write, they would have uh, carvings, they would have all kinds of pictures on the top, the capitals. But on these pillars would be names of people, people that were prominent people. And it was always one of those things where you would want your name there. Remember the church at Pergamos that they had the altar to Zeus? Do you remember that? These big, huge steps with all these, uh, with, with, uh, the angel, the Nike, they had uh, all of these, th uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Zeus and all of his children, Apollos, all this. And they would always want their name. They would always want to be one of those, one of those marble statues or have their names carved on there. Jesus tells this church at Philadelphia, now listen to me, in 17 AD that was just destroyed, destroyed by an earthquake. Five years, they didn't have to pay tribute. Twenty years, they kept having more and more and more earthquakes. Listen, pay attention, listen. They had all this stuff happening. And then John gives a letter out about 92, 95 A.D. This is after the horrifying earthquakes. Imagine these people, Wes, as they're walking around through the city of Philadelphia and they're looking. They're looking at some of the ruins and the only things left are these pillars. Standing up. It's the only things left. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, if you hold on, if you don't waver, if you don't veer, and you stay true and you stay holy, and you stick with the word, he said, I will make you as a pillar in the temple of my God. Those people would walk around that city, Adam, and they would look at those pillars and go, that's the only thing left standing. Hey, don't you want to be a Christian 
that when the world tells you to shut up and you keep quiet and you don't preach and you don't share the gospel and you just go over here to your church and just leave it, don't you want to be a pillar? Amen. Don't you want to be one that is something that is sure and it's steadfast and not just some kind of ornament on the church, just somebody that passes by the church, but to be a pillar in the church. Amen. More than being a pillar in the community, being a pillar in the house of God. And he said, I'll tell you what. He said, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. He's saying people will go by and they will notice you and what you did for the kingdom. They will know because why? He said, I will write the name of my God on you. Amen. You know what he was saying? He was saying, I will actually put the name of God on you that you belong to God. Amen. I don't know what it's going to be like when when we get to heaven. I've not been there yet. I ain't died and going to come back and all that. Listen, if I die, I really don't want to come back. I'd rather just stay there. But listen, someday, those of you that hold on and you're in heaven and we are an example of a pillar in the temple of God, there's Steve. He held on. Amen. There's Polycarp. There's Paul. There's Timothy. And listen, they got the name of God on them. Amen. Listen, we've talked about people in the last few weeks that have been gone for thousands of years. And we're still talking about them. Amen. Listen, he said, I will make them a pillar. He said, and they'll never go out again. Amen. When the earthquakes would come, think about it for a moment. Brandon would grab his children and run to the highest place so that nothing would fall on his kids. He said, they won't have to keep running around anymore. He said, no, 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 no. I'll give them a home. I'll give them something. Listen, the last things are this. Listen, Paul said it best. He said, I'm persuaded that neither death nor height, nor, nor life, nor angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, nor height or depth, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. He said, I'll write on them. Listen for a minute, Dad. Listen, he says, I'll write on them the name of my God. You know what it is? He's going to write on them who my God is and who I am. I'm going to actually be marked that I'm a child of God. Number two, he says, I'm going to write on them, on that believer, the name of God's city. You know why? Because when he writes the name of God's city, Jerusalem, which is talking about the new Jerusalem. Listen, when he's talking about heaven, he says, I'm going to identify and I'm going to say that that's who, that boy's mine. But then he's also going to say that he belongs here. Listen, it's where my home is and where I'm going. I don't have a lot down here. I really don't. I don't have a lot of things. Sometimes that's caused people to laugh at me and to make fun of me. Because I don't have a lot of things. But I don't care. You can laugh. As Kenny Henson said, you can call me a fool. But someday you're going to call me gone. Because I got a better home. And listen, it don't have to be a mansion on a hilltop. Just a place with the Lord. The very last thing he said, and I, I'll, I'll leave you with this. He said, I'm going to write on you my new name. Not our new name. Jesus says, I'm going to write on you my new name. Jesus' new name. We can't talk about it because it's in Revelation 19 and we'll get there. But you know what he's doing, Jesus says, since you identified yourself with me in belief, I'm going to identify myself with you. I'm going to be the one that tells everyone in heaven why you can. Isn't it, isn't it funny? There's the only thing standing. Of St. John's Church or Basilica. 
this church may be crumbled to the ground one day. It may fall down and nothing out. You know, everything's leveled down to the ground. But will the Christians be still standing? And the believers, aren't you tired of just being an ornament at the house of God? Just a passerby and just a seat taker? Don't you know that the Lord has so much more for you? The Lord has so much more for you. There's, there's, listen, teaching the Word of God, preaching the Word of God. What are you, what are you doing? Do you just come to make an imprint? Or do you come to make an impact? Are you just coming by church? It really does show. It really does. Just take one Sunday night to come and see the difference. It's different. Take a Wednesday to come by and see. It's different. I'm going to tell you, you can't get enough of him on a Sunday morning. I'm, inv- I'm, not, I'm not criminalizing you. I'm inviting you to have more of a deeper, holy relationship with Jesus. You can't get it at the restaurant. You can't get this feeling from sipping on this and snorting on that. I'm inviting you to have a relationship with Jesus where when people look at you, they go, he or she belongs to God. How do you know? God's all over that guy. God's all over that girl. Amen? Have a closer relationship with Jesus. Father, we love you and we ask you that you'd please help us. Lord, as you speak to us in invitation, you're the only one that can move in somebody's heart. Lord, all I can do is preach and all I can do is share the truth. But only you, only you through the Holy Spirit can convict them and move them. There's not a song that can do it. There's not an invitation that can do it or a message. We know that. I just pray you give the people the strength, the courage that know right now in their heart that you're working on them and that you're speaking to them.